you are new, um, uh, at Redemption Church, something that we really, really find valuable is going through um, books in the Bible, big chunks of Scripture. Um, and we're not, that's not to say that there's a wrong way to do it. We just feel like this is a very helpful, intentional way um, in a culture that uh, tends not to really understand the Bible. And I don't mean outside of the church. I mean a church culture that has a tendency not really to understand the Bible. It's really healthy for us to go through passage after passage in order to see what the Bible is, is saying. And so that's what we do. And we've been doing that since we've began. Um, and we're doing that now. So if you don't know, we are in the book of Titus. This is our um, our, geez, I think our fourth week in the book of Titus. Uh, we're going to spend eight, eight weeks total. Just a little background if you're not familiar. Uh, Titus is written by a guy named Paul. He's writing to Titus, who is a pastor at a church, okay? So normally this guy, Paul, writes to other churches in these regions to give them encouragement, correction, so on and so forth. But in this book, in two other books that he writes to, to another guy named Timothy, he writes specifically to Titus to encourage the church, okay? To uh, correct the church, to walk the church, through. So so what's unique about this, and you're going to find this in our passage today, is the book of Titus is extremely pastoral. Matter of fact, it's um, under the titling or labeling of pastoral epistles, pastoral letters. It's extremely intimate. Um, Some of the things that we go through are, we're forced and required almost in some ways to kind of stop and go, here's what he's saying, but this is going to require some conversations at coffee tables, right? This is going to require sitting down uh, and, and really uh, fleshing this out and unteasing it because it's not as easy as we want to talk about it. And so um, some of the things that we're going to go through uh, now and, and even uh, after this in the following weeks are going to require some of those conversations, but we're excited to go through at least what we can um, in this. And so um, if, if you don't know, the, the way this whole book starts and has, has started was this idea that everything that, that uh, Paul is writing to Titus is to correspond to godliness or for the knowledge of God's people, the faithful. He calls them the elect. He, he basically says, here's what you need to do. There is godliness. There's this knowledge. I'm sorry. There's this knowledge that corresponds to godliness. There, there is something you have and it, and it does something. Okay. And so um, what we're going to do is we're going to go through that. Now, um, this is the fourth week. So last week was, was a pretty big week because we've gone through elders and all that. But last week, um, we really honed in on what's going on specifically in this church. And what's going on specifically in this church is there are these teachers, these false teachers, these, these people who are um, arrogant, these people who are deceptive, these people who want to go in and, and cause turmoil and, 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 and fluster people. And so they go into these houses and they start to teach something that is not the gospel. And we talked about what that was. Um, specifically in that context, it seems to play itself out in like a legalism. The way we would understand legalism, they're, they're adding parameters. He calls them the circumcision party. They're adding parameters around, hey, you can have Jesus, but you also need to do this. Okay. And so now we're going to go into chapter two of the book of Titus. There's only three chapters. And what he's going to write now is going to be in a response to that. So if you don't already um, have your Bibles open, you can open to Titus chapter 2. I'm going to read the first verse. Give us more background as to where we're going. But I want you just to understand that that this first verse before we really get into our text, which uh, is going to begin in in 2. This is what chapter 1 or chapter 2 verse 1 says. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now, I just need you to hear those first couple words. But as for you. So here is these teachers who are teaching false doctrine, but that's not what I want you to teach. I want you to teach what accords to sound doctrine, not just sound doctrine, but what accords to sound doctrine. So again, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Um, I told you guys last week, I'm using a a commentary of a guy named Tim Chester. This is what he says uh, that I thought was helpful. Just a a simple little statement. I don't think I have it for the screens, but 
He says this, chapter 2 describes what Titus must do in contrast to the self-willed, self-righteous teachers in chapter 1. His job is to silence false doctrine by teaching sound doctrine. Okay? He, sound doctrine is, is, and you're going to see that word a lot in our passage, is healthy. It's where we get our word even hygiene from in the Greek. It's a healthy doctrine. Now, here's what I'm going to say because this is uh, pretty important. Last week, what we did is we unearthed and we pointed at, you have to do this to earn God's love. You, you have to be this type of person. You can come to God when you get there. And we said, that's not true. Okay. But what we're going to do this morning is we're going to point towards things that God does tell you to do. I, I remember about three years ago, my family was bowling. I don't know if you've ever been bowling before, this weird game. Uh, but uh, we were bowling, and, and Titus was three. And uh, so, you know, Corbin and, Ty are, Corbin and Titus are younger, and so we put up the, the bumpers, if you guys have ever seen that. So someone comes over with a hook. I don't know if they, how they do it nowadays. But three years ago, they just pulled it up, and these kind of bumpers slide up. And so, essentially, Titus and Corbin can't fail. I mean, they're going to hit one pin. Um, actually, I think one of the times Titus didn't hit a pin, which was amazing. But... Um, so, so here, here's why I, I give that analogy, because what's, what's crazy about this is Titus gets up, and, um, and he throws the ball, and it hits right onto the bumper, and the bumper shakes in such a way it collapses, okay? And uh, now he has one bumper, but he just kept going. And, and here's what I, you know, as I was processing, like, a good example that we can understand what the book of Titus is, is, is the book of Titus essentially is laying out these bumpers. It's saying, on one side, you need to understand that grace is necessary, that you could never, ever earn God's love. You cannot get to God's love, uh, to, to God without grace. On one side, this bumper is keeping us over here saying, no, no, it's not about what you do. That's not why God loves you. It's not about what you do. And that was last week. But the other bumper on the other side goes, yes, it's not about what you do. And though grace is necessary, works are inevitable. So the other bumper pushes you this way and goes, yeah, but if you are a Christian, you're not going to go off the rail. You're, you're not going to go into another lane. And so playing with one bumper, you can end up in, into a gutter, right? Now you see where I'm doing with this analogy, right? Okay. Um, but my, my point is this, that, that, that um, in the book of Titus, you're going to feel like, honestly, in these next four weeks, we're going back and forth. Like grace works, grace works. And I think that's intentional. Like what, what, what the, the, the Christian life should look like is this idea of I can never earn God's love, but because Jesus has done what he's done on the cross, I can stand before God righteous, before um, God righteous. And because of that, because I am who I am in Jesus Christ, I'm going to act that way. My old man is gone and my new man has come. And so um, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to get into what God has called most people, if not everyone in this room too. Okay. So we have nine, nine verses to go through. Um, I want you to understand from the jump, there's a couple things that I need to give a prefaces for uh, because there's going to be some kind of weirdness, but we are going to address um, older men in the church. Okay. So again, like I said, very pastoral, we're going to address younger men in the church. We're going to address older women in the church. We're going to address younger women in the church, and we're going to address um, workers in the church or employees, people not just who work for the church, but most of us are employees. He calls them uh, douloi, and it's translated slave, but if you've been with us long enough, you've heard me uh, play that out, why that's not that word. Um, so with that said, um, let me give you four caveats, four prefaces as to why we're doing this. Uh, the number one, first of all, I want to say this, okay? And you're going to see why I'm so like skittish about just jumping into our text in a second. Um, okay. Um, number one, the, the Bible is not afraid to separate people, right? So I, we live in a culture that is tend to like, it's going to feel almost like there's a little bit of ageism, right? Like this, like older men, younger men, uh, older women, younger women, but the Bible is going to be very, Hey, here's 
I'm talking now to older men, okay? Which actually leads me to my second point. Um, it doesn't mention the age. So I, I cannot tell you at what point you become an older man. Like we know I'm not. <laughs> and we know Jim is. Okay? But somewhere in those years, right, okay, that the, the change has taken place. But it doesn't mention age. So that's the second thing uh, I, I need you to know. Um, also, it does not mention um, uh, married or single in any of these ways. It's actually when it gets to younger women, it's going to um, talk about children and husbands. So there is an assumption. But if you're single in here, just understand that so many of, uh, of the things that it's talking about, maybe not in this uh, stage of life, or maybe you don't want to be married, you can at least look at and go, okay, this is what corresponds or accords uh, um, to, to sound doctrine, to healthy doctrine. And then the last thing is this, and this is a big deal. Um, we're going to actually talk about family. That's honestly what this whole passage is about. Um, it, it, it's about family. Um, and, and, and what's unique about that, and the reason I would say that it's important, is because it's not understanding family the way that you and I understand family. So we actually understand something called the nuclear family. Maybe you've heard that term before. Um, but that's actually not the way they understand family. So um, uh, Dr. Uh, Del Husse Jr., he came in and walked us through the book of Titus um, for a whole day. We spent eight hours with him. And he really walked us through what the hierarchy of, of what that a family during this time in Crete, this is where, I didn't say that earlier, but that's, that's uh, the church in Crete, um, who this letter is being written to. Um, and I actually want to show you that so you can kind of get your mind around a little bit of why he's bringing up the people that he is. So um, let me show you a pyramid. It's not a scheme either. It's just a pyramid. Uh, and if you have it, okay. So um, real simple, but let me just explain what's different than the way that you understand this. Most likely you see father and mother and you think maybe you, if you have little kids. Um, so the nuclear family, again, is not the model, okay? Their immediate family, the way they process the media, and I mean by immediately living in their home together, was actually included in grandparents and, and workers or servants uh, in that family. This is a big type of family. So at the top of this hierarchy w- w- would be the father, okay? And so this is obviously a very patriarchal society. Um, they would hold to this idea that it's not, and I don't mean like me as a father as little kids, this would actually be my father, Okay? It would be the grandpa, the way you would understand grandpa. He, they would live together in this house, and he would be king dog, right? He would be the one who would say, here's, here's who's in charge. It's the father. Now, under him would be the mother, okay? Now, whether you like this or not, I'm just telling you culturally, this is where they were at. Um, so maybe you don't like living with your grandma and grandpa or, or mom or dad, but this is what uh, uh, took place. And then under him is the mother, right? So again, this is how we would process grandmother. Under them are adult kids. So that would be if around your my age, um, uh, and you have little ones, right? So we have between uh, two months and eight years old, um, some type of little kids. We would be the adult kids. So, so we are still submitting to what our parents would say as we live in this house together. It's not a nuclear family. Under them is what, we, what the scripture calls slaves here. Again, I'll unpack that. It's not colonial slavery. It's not the way that you think of slavery. Um, household servants were a big part of this culture. They lived in this culture. They were part of this culture. So much so that they are part of this family. If you were with us in the very beginning of Titus, I unpacked how um, these people were not forced to do this, but according to Deuteronomy, as they're set free, they would choose to. No, we love it here. We, our kids are re- being raised together. And so these slaves or servants um, would raise the smaller kids, would raise the smaller children. So this is kind of a hierarchy for you to understand. It's different than the nuclear family. And it's important because when he refers to the people, this is how he's referring to them, Okay. You understand this? It's, it's not the way that maybe we process certain things. But um, when, when uh, Dr. Del Husse put up this uh, pyramid thing, I thought it was helpful for me. So I wanted to share it with you. So with that said, 
Those are the only prefaces I have. Let's first talk about the older men. Cool? All right, here we go. Um, first, verse 2, um, after we just did all this, in response to all these false teachers, older men. Again, I have no idea what that age is. I know that um, Zacharias calls himself an older man in the Gospels. Paul refers himself as an older man, but I have no idea how old they were. Um, but, but this is what I, what, what I would say. The first one, older men, not knowing what they are, they need to be sober-minded. Okay, so if you consider yourself an older man in this room, the first thing you need to, to consider yourself is sober-minded, literally meaning not like, um, it's, it is the Greek word where we get our word sobriety from. It's, it's, uh, uh, you, you're, not, um, you're not addicted to or, or claimed by or, or viced in uh, by certain things, but you can think clearly, okay? O- older men are to be sober-minded. You're to be dignified. What, what's awesome about this word dignified is where we get our, our word from, from the Greek, it gravity, it means weight. Um, it has this idea of you're an older man, when you talk, people listen. There's this sage-like idea. So you are to be dignified, which I think is helpful. Um, uh, the third one is you're to be self-controlled, okay? So here's what's interesting about this word self-controlled. It's actually two Greek words. And I know I've been dropping a lot of Greek on you guys in the book of Titus, and I apologize. But in some ways, it's helpful. The first word is sos. It's where we get our word safe from. And then uh, aphrem is, is, or yeah, aphrem is how, basically how you pronounce it, um, in, in the, is the second word. Sos, aphrem. And sos means safe, but aphrem is where we get our word um, diaphragm from. It means core. And essentially what he's saying is you're a safe core. What, what, um, the example that, that I think I could probably process best is like an opera singer. An opera singer from her core, from her diaphragm, is how she controls the tone, the pitch, the longevity. It's, it's what stabilizes you. And you're to have a safe core. You are to be self-controlled. You are uh, uh, to be the, the, the temperate in that room. Okay. So as an older man, that, that's the type of man you are to be. Now what's interesting about Paul is he talks to Titus, he gives them three things that they need to be, and then immediately he gives them three things that they need to be sound in, okay? Sound again is healthy in. So the first thing is uh, the three things they need to be is sober-minded, dignified, and self-controlled. And then he gives, so those are three adjectives, if you're wondering. Then he actually gives three nouns, three things they need to be sound in, which is faith, in love and in steadfastness. And I wish in some ways I can like break these down, but they're, they're the normal words, what we would understand of faith, love, and steadfastness. Steadfastness is just um, hope, right? Uh, longevity, like that type of idea. Um, and there's nothing nuanced about that. But I will say as older men, these are things that you need to look at and go, here's where I need to be. I need it. faith, hope, and steadfastness. When we were sitting in that class um, uh, with, with Dr. Del Husay, he made a really awesome comment that I thought was so helpful. Um, and I wanted to, to give it to you guys because I thought this was really, really well said. Um, and I think this is for you, got, you men in the room to understand y- your phase in life. But this is what he said. He said, in aging, we collect a lot of sadness and pain. It concentrates in our bodies and hearts, but we learn the power of yielding to God and that the best response to any tragedy is faith, hope, and love. By this, we imitate Christ for the next generation. So as an older man, um, and this is what I want to speak very specifically before we go on. As an older man, here's what I would love to say to you is uh, getting the opportunity to pastor Redemption Peoria. Um, we naturally live in a culture that values physical prime. The, the 20 to 30 year old in their physical prime is what we beat our chests about. It's, it's the superstar, it's the athlete, it's the actor, whatever it is. We value physical prime. What's crazy about the New Testament is over and over and over, it values the spiritual prime. Like it, like it puts wisdom, 
right? And knowledge as something to be honored. And it talks about gray hairs, as much as we want to joke, as a good thing. Somebody who has gray hairs, go to them, seek wisdom and counsel. And so we live in a culture that honors and values the physical prime. But the reality is, um, what we're told in this passage is, I mean, you, if, if you consider yourself an old man, I ain't dare to going to point out anybody in this room uh, who considers himself old. But as you lean into that oldness, um, the, the idea is that you are entering into your prime. You're entering into your prime. And, and maybe that's counterintuitive because you feel like, well, no, my prime is behind me. But to live in a culture where we have to have this midlife crisis is not biblical. Like you, you go through it like, oh, my past is behind me. What you now give, and I'll just speak specifically to the church. What you now give to the church is eons beyond what you could have lifted back in the day. Like, like the idea of what you bring to the table now is so important. And, and I want to first repent if, if anyways, um, you've not felt valuable. Like, and, I, and I'm going to, like, more than anyone at Redemption Peoria, Jim Ellis has guided me, walked me through, tempered me at times, um, because he brings wisdom. He brings knowledge. He brings, and I quote, I love this, sadness and pain that concentrates in his body and heart, and he learns by the power of yielding to God that the best response to any tragedy is faith, hope, and love. You've walked through that, Right? Now, I can say this right now because a lot of the college students have, have gone already and the, the, as the year wraps down. Here, here's the reality of this. Um, I know at times you may feel like they don't want to come to you and they may not want to learn from you. But there is this part of responsibility for you to begin to engage with them as well. And I'll just speak to somebody. I am 31 years old. I am not one of the older men. Um, okay. But as, as a 31 year old, there's a lot of college students. I'll, I'll just say, forget college students, a lot of 18 to 25 year olds who need you. You understand? Now you may feel like that's not the case, but get your butt in community and get around these guys. Okay, so to the older men, that's what I would encourage you. And I'm not going to rebuke an old man because that's, I can get a curse on me according to Proverbs. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so for whatever that's worth, older men, man, you are valued. You are needed. You are, like, gosh, you, I, I, I just, so please know that to be true um, as pastorally as I can possibly say it. So from old man, uh, we go then into older women. Okay, and I definitely ain't saying who's an older woman. Okay. Um, verse three, older women, again, this is the household of God, how to push against the false doctrine. Here's older women, what you can do to push against false doctrine, to live in sound doctrine, what accords the sound doctrine, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the younger women too. And we're going to stop there. So to the older women, this is uh, uh, what Paul would tell Titus, uh, to, to encourage you to older women are like, likewise. And again, I don't want to say what older woman it was, but there's a philosopher, a Jewish philosopher, Philo, at the time, who said an older woman would, would be entering into her 60s. I'm not saying that's the case. Um, I'm just telling you, Paul could have thought that, so take it for whatever it's worth. That could be an older man as well. Um, I'll stop while I'm ahead. Um, okay. <laughs> older women, likewise, are to be, first one, reverent in behavior. Okay. Older women, now I'm talking to you. Here's what's crazy about the, this, this reverent in behavior. Nowhere else in scripture does it refer to um, anything but a priest when it uses that language. That's crazy. Like so uncommon for, for I mean, specifically for this time. That reverent in behavior has a, a weightiness to it that, require, that is required of priests in the Old Testament. If you don't know who priests were, priests were the only ones who could stand before God and, and, and make an offering. Or, or they're essentially, their job was to go, bo- go before God on behalf of man. 
And that first thing I think was really awesome. So for you, you're to be um, reverent in behavior. Take that for what it's worth. You're to not be slanderous, right? Literally in Greek, it's diabolo. It's, it's de- uh, devil tongue. It's where we get our word uh, diabolical from. Like you're not to be, and hear me, but like the town gossip. You're not to be, as you enter into your old age, give me grace, as you enter into your old age, you're not to be somebody who's like, that's not you. That's not what God has called you to be. You're to be reverent in behavior. You're not to be devil-tongued or diabolical. You are to speak life, right? Which helps us go on to the next one, right? Because at the same time, sometimes we get into this because we're slaves to too much wine. Uh, what, what I think is important is we remember the context that they're in. And in Crete, remember, they are drunkards. So actually, in this context, older men and women were, were actually like told, hey, just j- encouraged even to drink like your old age away. And say, no, that's not you. That's not you. Don't just sit there and like watch. Uh, I'm not going to do any cheesy, okay. But don't just sit there and just drink wine and like, oh, you know, woe is me. No, that's not you. You're not to be addicted to much wine. Again, you're to be like this reverent in behavior. Reverent in behavior. And then the, the um, last one is, um, sorry, uh, not slain double tongue, slaves to much wine. And then I love this. Of all the lists between all men and women, this is my favorite one. So it doesn't like it gets worse from here, but this is such a great way. Older women, this is so beautiful. Older women, you are to, um, I'll read it first and I'll define it to you. They are to teach what is good. You, you are to, um, how can I, the best, I've been even processing before I came up. I want to unleash the beauty of what it's saying. Um, in in, in the, the sphere of false doctrine, older women, your job, a huge um, blessing you bring to the church is to show us what is beautiful. Like that word good is, is not just good. It's like, um, you're to, like we have a tendency to forget, right, what is beautiful. And what he's going to say is, older women, listen to me. Your job is to look at that and go, do you see that? Do you see how awesome that is? I remember last summer we drove um, through California up to Portland and we drove past the big redwood trees, right? And there's this sense where I'm looking, trying to get my kids to see. You'll never see trees this size again. Look how big these are. And, and to you, to older women, your job is in your age, in a generation that wants to look at their phones, is to say, get your head up and look. Look at the beauty. Look at the good around you. Your job is to, to call us as a community and go, we have forgotten what is beautiful. I mean, that is, I mean, I'm not even unleashing the, the poetry of what it's trying to get at. You bring s- such beauty to that um, that I think is ridiculously helpful. And I hope that you take that serious as, as he, he puts that in front of you. Now, um, something weird is going to happen from here. Okay. Um, because now at this moment, he's going to give older women another task. Okay. And that task, um, is coming from Paul who is telling Titus to tell older women to tell younger women. So this next section of scripture is not coming from Paul to tell Titus to tell younger women, wherever you consider yourself younger women, but actually this is to come from older women. Do you understand? So Paul is saying, hey, Titus, tell the older man to do this. Tell the older woman to do this. Tell the younger man to do this. Tell the servants to do this. Oh yeah, and tell the older women to tell the younger women to do this. Okay? So there is something about as this text transfers hands, it's very important that Older women, you understand your value. Almost, dare I say, necessity. Necessity. Like, it's almost fair to say we could not play out this text without you. 
As a church community, it would not be my job to continue to encourage, correct, or, or push uh, younger women in this direction. No, rather, what the text is putting, me, putting in front of us is to say, older women, you encourage younger women. You tracking with me on that? Okay, so he goes on to say this. Older women, likewise, I'll read it again, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous, slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the younger women too. And so to train the younger women too um, is, is, is where I, I want to stop before I read the list of the, the younger women, okay? Um, I don't know if you guys were here. Um, yeah, I don't know if you guys were here uh, when we went through the Gospel of Mark, uh, and uh, we hit a passage in Mark that it talked about this fig tree, and Jesus walks up to this fig tree, um, and the fig, he tells the fig tree to wither, and it required so much work for that passage. I remember getting up that Sunday and saying, I've up to that point, and still up to this point, um, studied more for that passage, probably 30 hours that week, trying to figure out how to unearth what this is talking about in Israel, and how to unpack that. It's just a lot of time put into that. Um, I have spent more time talking about this next section of scripture with people than all the time I've spent in Redemption Peoria. Um, what, what we're going to lay out is so culturally sensitive. Some of you come from a background that are going to push this, um, some of the agendas in, in, in Titus in such terrible directions that you are going to hear some of the things that I'm going to say and you're going to respond in the wrong way. And some of you bring an agenda to this next part of the passage. This is what should happen. This is what should happen. So I want to, from the, the jump, I, uh, say something that's important to me. Um, and and I, I've read, I read this in a, a book by John Piper that I thought was super helpful. But just give me grace when I say this because I'm not trying to be as brash as, as I am going to say it. But I will say this. Um, wimpy theology makes wimpy women. That, that's not me, Piper. You can email Piper for that. <laughs> but, but he makes this comment, wimpy theology makes wimpy women. And I could not agree more. I could not agree more. So if I, as we go into this passage, let me just say to all the women in the house, younger women specifically, or at least older women to encourage the, the younger women, um, I'm raising a daughter right now that she is three years old, but I want her to know the Bible. Like, I want her to know it so well that when the culture tries to push norms on her, when the culture tries to pressure in, into how she should dress or, or what makeup she should wear, or what she shouldn't do, or what she can do, or she should talk like Betty Crocker, and she should make things like Martha Stewart, and she should uh, 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 be a spitting image of June Cleaver. Like, there should be this, this response, this beautiful, instilling in my daughter, six-word response that every single Christian should live by, as these, these voices outside of her, as she grows into the beauty of who God has called her to be, this six-word response that everyone should know deep within their heart, this six-word response that she holds fast to when all these voices come at her, and she goes... This is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. I want men to look at her and go, I don't want them to just go, I want that. I want them to look at her and see such fervor for the Lord and such passion for the Lord that her theological ducks would be so much in a row. They don't just go, I want that. They would look at her and go, I want to be like that. This is a big difference. And, and, and I think there's been this thumbing down to say, well, the, the man is the, the, the spiritual head of the house. And, and I think that's true. But the reality is you are to continue to go at the scripture, to be ferocious, to read systematic theologies, to gobble up books, to know why you believe what you believe. This, I cannot encourage you enough to do. I cannot encourage you enough to do that. 
Now, with that said, I'm going to read this list, and I need you to understand all those voices that I've talked about are coming at different ways. And I'm just going to tell you what we'd say. Here's what the Bible, this is what the Bible says. Now, if you're not familiar with the historical context of this, um, we have modernists and we have traditionalists who view a lot of this differently. And the modernists, most modernists, would hold to something called an egalitarian view of women. I'm not going to go in this because that's not what the passage is about. And, but, but we, more appropriately, would hold to something called complementarianism. We believe that men and women are absolutely equal, but they're not the same. So there are things that women can do that men cannot do, and there are things that men can do that women cannot do. And so we we, um, complement one another. Matter of fact, in Genesis, let me read this passage so you understand. This is what the Bible says. In Genesis chapter 1, after God has made all things through the first 25 verses, he says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them... Um, man have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Okay. So first from the four uh, jump, God says, let me make man. And he says, I'm going to make man and they're going to have dominion over all the earth. This man figure is going to have dominion over all the earth. So God created man in his image. So now we have the second thing. This man figure is not just to have um, dominion all over the earth, but this man figure is made in the image of God. So every single man is reflecting the image of God. So here we go. This is, we are equal. We are equal, but Made in the, own, the image of God, he created them. Check it out. Male and female, he created them. So suddenly we've been processing this them as, the, uh, this, this them as a man, this, this one singular male, but that's actually not the truth. It's a general man that goes, hey, you know who has dominion over all the earth? Men and women. You know who reflects God well in, its enti- in his entirety? Men and women. So though we are equal as man, we are not the same. There's male and female. And that's important that you understand that um, going forward because there's going to be some things that, to be honest with you, as I've I've said, I've talked with, I don't know, probably two dozen hours of conversations with women here in the church and outside the church getting at these passages because it does speak specifically certain things to younger women that actually doesn't refer to um, others in the passage. So this is what it says. Older women, are t- older women are saying this right now, okay? I am not saying this. Older women are to do this. Um, they are to train younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Let me read it again. They love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. The first one is this. They're to love their husband and children. Um, what's awesome about this is that those, it's two separate words in Greek, but what's crazy is um, the, it's the only time the, these words appear in the whole New Testament. And usually the word love, you would think, would appear everywhere. Love your husband, that's, that's in the Bible a lot. Um, what's crazy is it is, but it actually uses a different word for love. It, if you, you've probably heard the word agape. That's the usual word for love. But this is this word philos, and it has way more to do with friendship. One of the commentators that I was reading said uh, almost like, you are to like your husband and children. Like, be friends with them. Like, get to know them. Don't just, like, love them. Yes, I love them, but like them. 
Like, get, like, like continue to pursue and, and go after your kids' hearts. Get to know them. Laugh at the same things your husband laughs at. Get to be friends with them. I, I thought that's super helpful. So for you, if you're a younger woman, that's the first thing, to love your husbands and children. The second thing is to be self-controlled. Again, it's, I'm going to say the same thing I said before. It has to do with diaphragm um, within you. I, I think there's a tendency in this culture, if you remember in Crete, um, women are a part of the Cretan culture. Or every, they're liars. They're liars. They're gluttons. Um, they care about themselves. And so um, that's not you, younger women. That is not you. Part of the same thing that we talked about for older men. Um, the, the third thing is you're to be pure. Um, I wish there was something, other way to process this, but this is another word that only goes back to what it talked about with um, older women in being reverent in behavior. Um, it, again, this word pure only describes priests. So I don't know what it is about women, and, and this, I mean, if you ever want to do a study on this, even how God relates, how women specifically reflect God, there is a part of this that in the New Testament, it, priestly language seems to go more towards uh, feminine, femininity, womanhood, than it does towards men. But there's this sense of to be pure, to be reverent in behavior, that you are bringing something to the table that is super um, important. And then here we go. You guys ready for the bomb? You ready for the bomb? Now, I've, made, I've, I've hyped this up so much, and it's just one word in Greek, um, but I've wrestled with this just because of cultural norms, and I feel like some things that I think as a church we're wrestling with, so this is where I'll be as pastoral as possible, um, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home. So you're reading those three words, and you're like, what does that mean? Um, in Greek, it's one word, and it, and it literally would be translated, you are to be a maker of home, a, a, a homemaker. But don't think of like homemakers the way that we're processing it. Um, you're, to, you're to make your home. Younger women, you are in the, 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 the family of God. If you can think of an ecosystem, we are doing this together, older women and older men and younger men and so on and so forth. And here is your job as younger uh, women to make your home. Now, I, I want to say this because there's two things that are important. Um, nowhere in scripture does it forbid women to work? Nowhere. Now, the traditional side, remember modern and traditional side? The traditional side would say, actually, that's not true. Um, no, it, it, like, it's nowhere in scripture. And I think this, this verse is the only verse that you can probably extrapolate that from, and, and that's just not the case. Um, but what Paul is talking about is important. It is not to say that you cannot work um, away from home. That is not what it is saying. Women can absolutely work outside of the home. But what it is talking about is priority. What it is putting in front of you is you can work outside of the home, but never at the exception of not making your home. Now, this is important, and I want you to know I have processed this as much as I can. Um, I'm not a woman, right? I don't, I don't know, like... I think I've experienced growing up racial tendencies like from some of my friends, but never, I I guess I never put my mind in places to see the subjugation of women and and the weight that some of you women maybe feel like a second-class citizen. I mean, in some cultures, not even a citizen, right? Like there's some of that within you. um, And I don't know what that's like. um, And and I know that that there's voices all over, right? Because there's some voices who are telling you at one one turn that uh, you're working away from home and you're terrible because you're not with your kids. And then some other voices are telling you, uh, all you do is stay at home. What do you do? You're you're, you're just, you're you're there with your kids. You're wasting your life, right? So there's these voices. And and what I want to do and how I raise my daughter is to go, what does the Bible say? 
And then there's freedom and there's creativity and there's beauty. I talked with one woman who grew up in a home that her, her father would literally like physically abuse um, her, her mom if she ever talked about getting a job outside of the home. So there is so much baggage that comes to this mom guilt and, and all that. And so I want to do my best to kind of give you two encouragements um, and, and two questions to ask to help you navigate this. Because I know it's just one word. And if you're a guy in here and you're wondering why are we taking so much time on this, from what I understand about this text, this is a big question women, moms specifically, are asking. Um, that's why we're taking so much time. And so here, here's um, what I, what I want to uh, put in front of you, okay? Um, first, to, to you who are... Um, yeah, to you who are moms that stay home, you don't have a job... Um, I want to first encourage you. The encouragement would be this. You are not wasting your life. And I don't know any better way to say it. Like, I wish I had some, like, fancy poetry. Um, But here's the reality. Like, God has given you a soul. (laughs) He's given you a soul. Hey, can you take care of this soul 24 hours a day for me? I got you, God. That is a big deal. Jesus only took care of 12 of them. And you're not better than Jesus, right? So you've got, you've got a soul here and you're going to pour your life into. That is a big deal. Some of you got like eight souls you're trying to manage here. It's a big, that's huge. That is so huge. So let me encourage you. Culturally, people are going to say you're wrong. You don't have individualism. Forget them. All you have to do is take care of your home. If you believe staying at home is the best way to manage or make your home, then stay at home. It's beautiful. It's good. Diana Clark, I asked her if I can share this. I think she made a great statement. Um, I was talking with Vincent about this. Is uh, Lila, who is one of their daughters, was getting ready to go into school, and um, she is more than able to work a lot of different jobs. And she eventually came to the conclusion, her and Vincent, as they talked through it, to say, you know what? Lila's still in a place where she still needs me. I mean, listen to that language. Like, she still needs me, so I'm going to hold off one more year before sending her to school to spend with her. Like, so, so that's, a, that's a good place, right? I'm processing. This is, this is something God has given me. Now, Let's say you don't stay at home. So the encouragement to to those of you who work, right? Like you're working a nine to five. um, I would encourage you to read Proverbs 31. Um, And and, and here's why I would say this. Um, Man, work, like it's good. I want to encourage you that you, I don't know how. I was telling every woman I talked to this week, I have no idea how you can work the way that you do and still follow this command and still manage the home. And you do. I don't know how, like, you are beasts, right? That's the only time I'm going to ever get to call a woman a beast, okay? But, like, you, for you to be able to do that and still follow this command is so encouraging and speaks to God's activity and his fervor and his work to be able to do that well, to say, I'm still making my home. And I want to say this because this is important. Making your home is not looking at Pinterest and, and saying, my house doesn't look like this. And when your house looks like Pinterest, suddenly you're making your home. It's not cutting your kids' um, sandwiches into little owl faces. That's not making your home. That's not. But if you can look and go, I don't need to be that. I don't need to live up to that standard, that cultural norm. I work, 
but I absolutely come home and I give another 50, 100, 200% to my kids. I invest in them and I feel like I'm doing this well. I am working, but I'm also working for and working at my home. I'm making my home. If you are doing that, then I want to encourage you, you're working hard. No matter what someone would tell you, if you are following this command, it's legalism outside of anything else. For me to get up here and say, you cannot work outside of the home and still be working your home would be legalism. That would mean putting confines on you. But if you are following this command rightly, then be encouraged. Now, at the same time, I want to actually ask two questions. And I'm stealing these questions from another pastor as I was processing this uh, together. To you stay-at-home moms. Actually, since we're talking about working moms, let me just actually stay there. First question is to, to you working moms. It's just a simple question. Um, why are you working? That's all I want to ask. Why are you working? Do you feel like you're working because you don't want to be at home? Because that's probably not right. Like you don't want to be stuck at home like that mom. Or you feel like you're working because you need that third car. Like, like, uh, and maybe it's not that extreme, but you feel like you have to have this certain lifestyle because if you just came in on one income, uh, you guys wouldn't get all the things that you want. Like why are you working? Are you working because of cultural pressures? Like, you're the go-get-it mom, and that's you. Like, why are you working? That's all I want to ask you, because maybe in some ways that the reality is working could be um, messing with you making a home. But your job in our ecosystems is to help make a home. And you bring a, a nurturing factor and a comfort that men cannot bring. And so we need you to make homes. But if it's ever working to, to remove that, and maybe, here's the reality, because I'll switch over to the stay-at-home moms. Um, are you actually working? Like, are you, as a stay-at-home mom, as a second question, are you watching whole seasons of The Office in one day? Like, while you are on Facebook, do your kids have the iPad for four or five hours? Because that's not you making a home. So what does it look like for you to make it home? And there's not an answer on either side. Because here's the reality. I know moms who work 40 hours a week who are making homes better than stay-at-home moms. Their homes are in order. Their kids are loved. Their kids are nurtured. And then you have this stay-at-home mom who's just there. Now, this is not a guilt trip. My point is to say, to ask the question, am I working? And the only question in all of this you've got to be able to process as women in the workplace or women at home is, are you making your home? I have no idea what that entails. I don't know. But I'm telling you, in that pyramid, what it looks like is as everyone else is working, the woman's job, even as Proverbs 31 would point You can go to the market, but like I'm going to the market, I'm creating uh, uh, currency, I'm doing all these things, but I'm making my home. People love being there. My kids are loved. Um, The last thing I'll say in another example, again, I got approval from her to say this, is Teresa Demeter, I think, provide a great question for me to ask. And I wanted to ask um, you guys, working at home or not? Um, But she had said, I never want to, because she right now, her kids are in elementary. And um, she said, um, I never want to work, because she does. She does pitching lessons, and so she works. Um, But I never want to work at the expense, hear what she said, of being depleted when I pick my kids up from the bus stop. So, So her point was, I never want to work in such a direction that when my kids come home, or me and my husband, we both get home at the same time, I'm so depleted that I can't give anything else. And I think that's helpful. I think processing is your priority is your home. Now, if you are feminist in here, you don't like that. That's okay. That's okay. That's fine. (laughs) But here's the reality. I'm going to raise my daughter to bring in front of you the six words that are so dearly important. What does the Bible say? God has given us this ecosystem, like it or not, for our joy. 
Women, you can be so ridiculously creative, so unbelievably creative, so unbelievably hardworking. You are vital to this ecosystem family of God. You are important. Um, and I know there are a million questions you might have or what, or what are women's roles in leadership and blah, blah, blah. That's not this conversation. That's not this conversation. Right now, God is putting in front of you, you are to be a maker of your home. Do it well. Do it well. Now, we're not done um, with that. I hope that encourages you because um, that, that is a lot of time I just put into that little uh, thing there. Um, the next word is kind. Younger women, you're to be kind. I wish there was a way for me to unpack this anymore, but it's a generic word. Be kind. <laughs> um, submissive to their own husbands. Uh, what's interesting about this, again, maybe you don't like this, but, but the idea of that hierarchy, it, hierarchy, is um, that, yes, husbands are, are over um, their, their wives. You can see this in Ephesians 5, but there's a, a, a kind of a, a revolving give and take in all of this. What's awesome is husbands are to love their wives in such a way that Christ loves the church. They're to love them, everything. All of their being is to be for the wife. What do you want, honey? What's for your good? I promise I only want for your good. I'm giving everything. What did Christ do for you? He gave everything. Husbands, congratulations. That's what you've been called to do. So if your life is all about your wife, I ain't even trying to rhyme right now, Okay, but if your life is all about your wife, wives, this makes it very easy. And I know that's not always the case, but wives to submit to that is to always submit to your own good. Right. I think there's a beauty of what that 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 entails to go. I'm always for you. I want this family. I want I want it to continue to glorify God. I want to give everything to you. And because of that. Now, I understand there are a million cases of brokenness um, that that are are, are not there that, that you need to wrestle with. But just so you know, wives, you are to submit to your husbands. And I think this works against the curse. According to Genesis three, we're told husbands are going to want to desire the place um, of, of the husband or uh, wives are to desire the place of the husbands. And then last thing. It says this, all these things are true so that the word of God may not be reviled, literally blasphemed. Um, so let me just read a quote from you real quick from the portion of that book that I read by John Piper um, for you who are younger women. And then we're going to finish with younger men and workers and we'll get out of here. Um, this, is, this is what he says uh, to you. So please hear this, younger women. The ultimate purpose of God in history is the display of the glory of his son in dying for his bride. God has created man as male and female because there are aspects of Christ's glory which would not be known if there were not reflected in the complementary differences of manhood and womanhood. Therefore, true womanhood is a distinctive calling of God to display the glory of his son in ways that would not be displayed if there were no womanhood. You hear that? Like Christ's Christ glory would be stunted if there were no womanhood. Like you reflect this body in such a way that, that it wouldn't look the way it does without you. So for whatever it's worth, take that. Now, we ain't done, younger men, okay? Um, older men, older women, younger women, um, younger men. <laughs> if you're looking at your Bible, you're going to see why this is hilarious. So there's lists for all these people. Older women, here's your list. Younger women, here's your list. Younger men, here's your list. Be self-controlled. <laughs> Moving on. Like the honesty of the Bible sometimes is like, all right, I can give you a list, but here's what I know about younger men. Be self-controlled, okay? <laughs> We're moving on in the text. That's all, you've, all I've got for you. Be self-controlled. And then we'll move on to other things. But right now, be self-controlled. And I will say this, um, dealing with younger men and, and discipling them, um, 
<laughs> like this is, I don't know any better way to say it. This is the thing they need to work on. I think there's like a, a perfectly nailing it on the head. Like, yes, right now, just work on being self-controlled. We'll get to like what it means to date, but you ain't ready for that, bro. Okay. Be self-controlled. Okay. Then he goes on to talk specifically to Titus saying this, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And I think younger men can, can still lean into this because Titus would be considered a younger man in this. A model of good works and in your teaching show integrity or incorruptibleness is, is what that's uh, um, uh, laying out. And then he says to lay out um, this dignity. So in the same way of, of, ha- of the old men, remember dignified, there's this gravity. So you need to be dignified in that. Um, uh, and, and I think that, that helps. And then he goes on in sound speech that cannot be condemned so that in a, in a in opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about you. So younger men, and specifically to Titus there, but I think younger men can look at Titus and go, cool, I need to at the same time um, be a model of good works. I need to show integrity. I need to have dignity, sound in speech, so that, that these false teachers cannot look at me and go, see, look at this idiot. See what he's doing? That's, don't, don't do that. Don't be that guy. Um, and then the last one, here we go, verses 9 and 10. Bond servants. Again, we've talked about this. This is not a demeaning term. If you're new to redemption, Peoria, I've talked about this at length. This is not a demeaning term. Matter of fact, at the beginning of the book, if you go back and look, Paul actually refers to himself as this. This is not a demeaning term in the family. It's just saying, hey, like servants, right? Servants. Uh, I mean, I, I've explained the, as much as I can with the word doulai in the Greek, um, but servants in this family are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. Uh, literally, not argumentative is like um, anti-logos, the two Greek words that you have there. It literally means like anti-speech, to, to speak against. So if you're a worker, don't speak against, but let me keep, keep going on, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. I want to say this to you because every commentary I read would, meet, would say this refers to employees, uh, uh, if you have a job, if you're under somebody, this would refer to you. And I think this is a really good list uh, for you to read because check it out. You're to be submissive to your own masters, right? So to follow your boss, your boss says do something, you're on the clock, do it. You're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. Don't speak against your boss, whether to them or away from them. Don't speak against your boss, not pilfering. Maybe you don't know the term pilfering. It literally means steal, but I like the word pilfering because it doesn't just mean to like um, don't steal. It means don't set apart for yourself. Literally, like... You're working, so work. Like, when you're not working, you're stealing time for somebody who's paying you to work. You're setting aside time. I got a 10-minute break, but I took a 20-minute break. You're pilfering. You're stealing. Don't do that. Don't do that. Then he goes on to say, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God are Savior. So for employees to understand how that plays out is a big deal. To be hard workers, to not give away time, to, uh, uh, to, to, to be well-pleasing, to not speak against your boss. I think all of us can relate to those things. Now, um, let me wrap it up with this, and I'm done. Two minutes. Um, we've just, what we've done is we've just done something called exegete. We've gone through every single verse. We've exegeted the text. We've gone through every verse. We've gone through every word. Uh, we've explained these words and some not as much length as we probably could have, but we've exegeted the text. One of my professors, though, um, says something that is lost, and I think it's so apparent in this uh, section of verses, um, is he says, what we tend not to do, though, in the church, those who are really good at exegeting the text, is what he calls exegeting the mood. So as we read this, you can walk out of here and go, you've got your list, 
Go do it. Men, women, workers, you've got your list. Go do it. But if, if, if you're a careful, studious Bible reader, you're going to catch something at the end of most, most of these sections. For example, looking at your Bible again, notice what it says at the end of verse 5. To do these things so that the word of God may not be reviled. Look at, look at verse 8, at the end of verse 8. To do these things so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say. Look at verse 10 at the end. What did we just read? So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. So do these things, but check it out. Why did we plant a church? We planted a church for mission. The Christian life is to follow God, to live for God before man. And it's not just important that you just live it out because it's between you and God or it's between you and your community or between you and yourself. But no, the reality of the scripture is going to say it's important you live this out because you are being viewed by people around you and you are to be a sweet-smelling aroma. People are to look at you and go, now why do you do that? You're telling me you decided to stay at home because of blank. You're, You're telling me you act this way because of blank. People are to look at this and go, there's something different, which is huge. Because in Crete, the, church, the place this church is, by Paul giving this instruction, people are not acting like this. They have their opinions. But God says this is not how it should be. In the African Bible commentary on this very specific on, uh, this passage, I love what it says. It says this, when lifestyle and beliefs don't match up, the culture questions not the lifestyle, but the beliefs. So when we say we believe something and we don't live it out, the bumpers, we're going to the other bumper right now. Works matter. You living this out matters. Because just like Israel, people are watching you live this out. So when you process this, to live for God before man, it's a big deal. So to close, I, I want to read um, from 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, and, and I'm just going to read this, and, th- and then I'll pray. But I want you to understand what our role is in all of this. And, and, and I don't believe this is a, a, a complete list, right? I don't think younger women can go, okay, I checked it off, I got it. Younger men can go, I'm self-controlled, that's all I need to do. No, this is, this is pushing us in a direction to be countercultural, to live in a culture that is not like this, and to go, here's where I am. And, and this is what we've been called to as ambassadors. Um, I don't have it on the screen intentionally. I, I was emailing Josh last night. This last one I don't have on the screen because maybe you could just listen to it or maybe you can read it in your Bible and underline it. But here's what it's referring to you. Verse 17 of chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians is referring to you right now if you're a Christian. It says this, this first part, and I'm going to stop. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's describing Christianity. If you're a Christian, the old has passed away, the new has come. You have a lifestyle that the old man would have never, ever dreamed of living. Now you're living in such a way that you never, ever would have thought. You're not listening. Now, like, I know it's crazy, I would say. It's not because of the music you listen to. But suddenly, like, I remember when I was 16, I stopped listening to R. Kelly. That was like a shot to the heart, okay? Uh, I, I remember very distinctly going, I need to stop listening to R. Kelly. He makes me think things I don't want to think, Right? Yeah. Um, and so, so, so suddenly I would have never thought I would have stopped doing that, those type of things. But you're a new creature, new creation in Christ. And then I'm going to read 18 all the way through 20, and then we'll close. All of this, you being a creature, is from God 
who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He's reconciled us and he's given us that ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, this is why we live the way that we do. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That is Christianity. We we live it out. We've been reconciled and now we are ministers of reconciliation. Look at our life. Look into our life. See how we live. See that we are ministers of reconciliation. I implore you, you yourself be reconciled. Let's pray.